We're looking for two oil boys who can grease us up before each competition. You do the thing you're scared shitless of, and you get the courage after you do it. That's the way it works. That's the dumbass way to work. It should be the other way around. You'll have to excuse my friend. The town is back that way. You should make a radical change in your lifestyle. I mean, the core of man's spirit comes from new experiences. That's the way it works. Don't worry, we'll catch our break too. Just gotta keep our eyes open. Welcome to episode 17 of the Looks Like We're Lost podcast. I'm Dustin Redazel. And joining me via WebEx, he's a conscientious patriot. It's Tommy Cooksey. <laughs> it I'm so glad we landed on that title. Isn't that what we isn't what that I what be. isn't that what we're all striving to be? I don't want to be liberal, but I don't want to be liberal, I don't want to be conservative. I want to be a free thinker that's also worried about my country and my countrymen and women. Yeah. I want I want to be a contributor to the values that make up people's idea of what an American is. Yeah. One one thing that has bothered me my Ah, uh, yeah, pretty much ever since college, maybe before, was that sense of the ugly American mm-hmm. and that there was like an inborn shame to some people about, uh, I don't know, whatever being American supposedly meant. It's like we unnecessarily took this guilt upon ourselves for the sins of a country. And it's like, I don't want to carry that guilt when I I can't do anything pro, proactive or productive with it. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I think just, I think I guess I'm saying it's okay to love your country. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It's uh, it's been really eye opening for me. Um, you know, inter- interfacing with people from, you know, literally, excuse me, all over the world, and to see that you know the perception is not. It's not what we think the perception is necessarily like it's it, it says something that a lot of people from, you know, Europe watch you know, CNN or the U.S., you know, U.S. news. You know, where do you where do you think that came from? Because it's kind of been in the air, at least since I was a teenager, that there was something to be embarrassed about in being American. Yeah. I have no idea where it started. You know, I don't. I, it probably ties into the fact that, like, you know, probably we introduced fast food to America, and there's you know a fast food, uh, or excuse me, we introduced fast food to the world. There's a fast food place, you know, everywhere, but there is this perception that, you know, Americans are fat, lazy, uh, arrogant, big truck driving. Ah, mm. Check, 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 check. Yeah, yeah that is me. But, but that's true. I don't know. You know, and, and I think it's it it's we're not as homogenous of a society as like Italy. You know, we don't mm-hmm. and there's so much open space that, you know, we don't walk everywhere. We don't bike everywhere because it's just not feasible. Like I, w- I would love to ride a bike into an office like if we were still were going to Cisco, but I would die doing it because. <laughs> I'd be riding a bicycle on a road where people go 85 miles an hour, you know? Yeah, not wise. Not not a smart choice. Not wise at all. Uh-uh. Yeah, that's, uh, 
I don't know. I feel a little... I know that there's something that I'm carrying that is not sitting well with me about just my country of origin here, my birth, because there's something that pushes back against me when I'm hanging out with like guys who went through the military and the way that they feel about America versus the way that I feel about it. Mm -hmm. And then also on the flip side of that, when I'm talking to somebody who's like extremely progressive Mm -hmm. and you know, they're, they want all this social policy. They, they blame everything about the structure of this country for like why people are miserable and like neither one of those, I know I'm not either one. It doesn't sit well with me. Yeah. And yet like, what am I really blaming when I say like, it's America's fault. Like that doesn't mean anything. I know. Yeah. I, I mean, I think we, we fit right in the same, in the same book. Like, yeah, I love the country that I'm from because it's given me the opportunity to be where, where I am, but I'm not going to cry listening to Lee Greenwood sing proud to be an American, you know, but I'm also not mm-hmm. going to blame the systems of America on everything that, cause it, it's certainly a lot worse in a lot of other places in the world. But you're right. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's something that we, we definitely grapple with as we, it, as you as you uncover more of the history of the country and you become aware of the inequities of the country that we live in. There's this sense of pride to be here, but also a sense of it could it it could be improved, and those mm-hmm. those. You know, if if you're if you're, you know, on one on one side of that belief, nothing needs to change. It's great how it is. It's the way it is because that's how a bunch of dudes that wore wigs, you know, 400 years ago wanted it to be as if they could have any insight into what modern culture would look like and modern society would look like. <laughs> and then if you're on the other end, you know. It's a it's just um it's a machine and it's it's only there to drive output and you know so yeah I fall somewhere in the middle uh, of of that of that um and that's not to say I don't love the country or I don't think there needs to be work but you know it's a tough place to be well I I guess I've I've come around to it being the problem of being human mm. if. I don't really know what instincts are. There's just a natural pull towards some sort of behavior, and it's something about what it is like to be a consciousness, Mm -hmm. to be a human being. And I've always thought it was a little bit silly that we felt so... felt this strong drive to identify ourselves as part of a group. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter what it is. I'm a man. Mm. Yeah. Or like I'm an American. Yeah. Or, you know, the, the Republican Democrat thing. Like there's, it kind of just seems to be at the root of all human problems that we can't just see ourselves as the same thing mm. that we're all human. And yet here I am trying to grapple with like, what is special about being American? What guilt is involved in being an American? 
And this is going to be a clumsy pivot, but uh, I wanted to just talk about this because I haven't talked to anybody about it. The You mentioned the Founding Fathers and how they couldn't picture what life would be like today. And, uh, you know, another shooting in the news. Mm-hmm. Um, our, our company had a check-in and talked about, uh, you know, bigotry towards Asian Americans and, you know, um, some of the things that have spiked around the world. Um, with blame for where COVID might have come from. But I think about, like, gun laws in this country, and everybody points to the Founding Fathers and their eternal wisdom. And, look, in a lot of ways, everything they did, in spite of their flaws, was a pretty impressive piece of work. had a pretty good—it's been a pretty good run, yeah. Yeah, they— they did the right thing kind of for their times. Like it, it got something off the ground. Mm-hmm. I'll leave it at that. I yeah. don't need to analyze it. But the whole idea of like, what did gun ownership mean back then? Like how fast could a dude load a musket? Right. It's like, it's like, what were you really afraid of versus now we're talking about AR 15s. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess part of the thing I grapple with about America is, like, we just walked into it. The Founding Fathers were unhappy with their thing, and so they built something new. And I'm quite certain if we started from level ground, we wouldn't have these same biases. Like, hey, do do we think it's a better idea or a worse idea if we didn't all have access to the ability to kill dozens of people within seconds. Yeah. Probably best not to give that access to everybody. Yep. Right. Yep. Uh, let me, so I, I read this thing and, and, and oh, go ahead, go ahead. I don't want to interrupt you, man. No, you got it. Do it. So Jump it, in. it's funny you say that because here, here's something that's ubiquitous and, um, but it's, uh, so anyway, so public schooling, right? The public school mm-hmm. system. This guy, I saw I saw this guy tweet that he said um if public schools were invented today, right? So we're now we're talking about maybe a not level ground. They would be dismissed as some sort of socialist plot. Right? Mhm. He said, "Why should I pay for someone else's school? Not everyone's supposed to go to school." What about private school jobs? The government is not efficient enough to run schools, which maybe there is some truth behind that one. I, you know, there's that's kind of a mess. But you're right. If if we started at, at square zero, if there wasn't, and actually, this I listened to a, a podcast today that said the the terminology of gun reform and gun control is nowhere. Well, I don't know exactly the terms, but it wasn't a term until after the '60s. 1960s and the guy's premise was if we just looked at now certainly you know a gun is an inanimate object by itself Mm -hmm. you know but if people are the problem you can't just look at somebody and say that person's likely to be a killer Um, because another example a guy was apprehended at at a Publix in Georgia for having like an assault rifle um, 
a shotgun and five pistols with him. He had no idea what his intent was. He just had it with him. Maybe he was peacocking. Maybe he felt like he was going to be the one that would stop a killer. Maybe he was there to do damage. We don't know. Um, hmm. But what he was saying is, whether you're talking about mass shootings or whether you're talking about domestic shootings or gang violence, any type of shooting in, in well, we'll just talk about in America, isn't done by happy people, generally speaking, who have all their stuff together. It's mm-hmm. done by people who are in absolute despair, who feel that there's nothing that there, there's nothing that can pull them out of that despair. And so his his premise was, what if we looked at, you know, gun reform and didn't even use it, didn't even use that word. But we looked at society reform and we started to just just like anything. You could talk about the healthcare system, you talk about the school system. Mm-hmm. If we start at the foundational roots of it and we bring people up, there's less to be in despair about. There's less inequities to be angry about, and therefore, hopefully, that would be that would lead to, you know, less killings in general. Not just the ones with ARs, but the ones with handguns, you know, those suicides, etc. So, hmm. you know, it's a big, but yeah, it's this a big is... pivot, right? It's a big picture. Yeah, it requires <laughs> it requires conscientiousness. Right. The uh, it's it reminds me of people who say everyone should go to AA, right? Mm. Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah. It's like whether you have a drinking issue or not, what people find out who have put in a lot of time is you're not treating alcoholism; you're treating humanity. It's like what is it to be a person? What is it to struggle with an obsession or uh, a tick or a shortcoming and how do you replace a destructive desire with a greater desire mm-hmm. you know how do you get your life on the rails and in doing that like doing all the stuff like talking to people asking for forgiveness from people you've wronged fixing your past creating a plan for your future magically almost you stop thinking about the the drinking or the drugs. Yeah. Like, over time, you realize that you had a truer north, and you're no longer interested in going south or east or west. Yeah. And I think that's true with almost every issue we find ourselves butting up against. We kind of talked about this with our respect for Bernie Sanders. A while back. It's like, oh, here's the one guy actually like trying to say, here's here's what I think a solution is. Yeah. Like not trying to like win opinion, but trying to point himself towards a goal that he believes is good for everyone. Yeah. And I think that same thing is true with guns. Like we, we all agree we want less people shot. For sure. Right. Don't we think we could improve upon that scenario yeah and yeah i don't know and yet we we keep on debating about our individual like well don't take it away from me or don't give it to to this person like oh hey guns are fine as long as these people don't get it yeah it's (laughs) i saw i I saw something funny that's that wasn't funny it's tragic right i mean this is all tragic but it's like if guns aren't the problem and people are the problem why do we give people guns (laughs) <laughs> like it's very it's quite simple now well yeah. you know 
Oh, go but ahead. But I, I was going to say, like, for, for me, you know, I, I grew up around guns. I don't have an affinity for mm-hmm. them. I'm not, inter- you know, I'm not about them. I don't hunt, you know, whatever. But I can understand why someone would want to have guns. And that's and that is in that is in their right to do so. The problem is, is when we look at the Constitution and we say that's written in stone. No, Mm. there there are dozens of amendments to the Constitution. That's what an amendment literally is. There is an emotional attachment. Yeah, but you know the size of like the size of the balls you have to have to say like I think I have an idea good enough to to make an amendment in the Constitution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I, oh, I, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But yeah, I mean, here we are, the, the, the greatest society on earth, allegedly greatest society on earth, but, um, you <laughs> certainly know, the most successful. Absolutely. All these smart people. And yet when it comes to certain issues, we just say, we're just going to leave it how it is. We're just going to leave it how it is. We're not going to put smart. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. And part of that is maybe. Well, the, it's, the, yeah, it's the something. Get, go ahead, man. It's something that you've talked about before, which is, you know, as an individual, you take stock of something of your life, doing this through therapy or uh, conversations with friends, whatever means it might be. And you realize that you need to let go of something. But what you realize simultaneously is like, how did that thing ever come on board to my programming? It's because for a while it served you really well. Yeah. So when we're talking about something that's happening at a societal level, the people who are in the best positions have been served in some way by the current system, right? Sure. It's really hard to have animosity to something that's been good to you. Yeah. And... It's hard to see that it is bad to others. Like it just, it's like, well, you can make this work. I understand how to navigate it. And I don't, I don't know that people who have been treated well by the system really understand how to navigate it. But I do think something that happens to people is events occur and it is very difficult to assess how responsible we are for those events occurring the way they did. Yeah. But in order to make sense of our lives, we give ourselves an outsized portion of credit. Absolutely. So even well-meaning people who want to analyze the system, I would count myself in this this category. I would have to I would have to intentionally think negatively about myself and the way I climbed to where I am throughout my past to be closer to accurate on how much I'm responsible for. Yeah. Like it's easy to give lip service to say like, well, you know, I've, I've been lucky. Life's been good to me. Sure. But that is, that is totally different than divorcing myself from thinking like I did work hard. I put in those calls. I put in those hours, mm-hmm. you know? So I don't really begrudge the people who are in power for not, sh- like, wanting to tear down the system. a bunch of upheaval. Yeah, tear down yeah, the system. And I, don't, that, I don't even know that they should, right? Yeah, right. I mean, yeah, we, we've talked about this before, man, but it's like, 
by just literally a stroke of luck, we were born to families in the middle class um, who raised us well. But like we had just as likely of a chance to be born in the slums of Brazil, mm-hmm. you know, or in, you know, in, you know, ur- in, in an urban city to a single mother or in, a, mm-hmm. in or in rural West Virginia. Right. To a, to a, a single mother or, or single father or whatever. And, you know, the path is harder to navigate from that from that point. But but you're right. What do you, what do you do about that? Then what do you do about that? I don't know. That's where I get stuck. Yeah, I I think choices matter. Like what we're what we're talking about here is like large scale causality, right? Mm-hmm. Like I my life is a domino. It got hit and it's falling in a direction. Um but at any point you're you're faced with all these choices to to be nice and be kind when it's more convenient to just say nothing to do nothing um and i do think more look i don't know maybe this is a piece of bias too but the feeling i get is that People in our generation and younger have been greatly benefited by a lot of the a lot of what people rag on social media about is it being like this garbage fire of human interaction. I don't know that that's necessarily true. I I feel like more people are open to their own frailty. They have to they have to be, face the fact that they're called out or ignored when they do something that doesn't work. Yeah. And I think that they're getting a lot more feedback than any generation prior. And I think people are trying to make better choices. And that's hard to believe when you, you know, see some things like the shootings of the past week. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's some research around this, uh, like Steven Pinker, author, often gets like cited for uh, his Better Angels books and actually citing the studies on like violence going down and yeah, um, yeah. lifespan getting longer. And, you know, the fact that we know things like stress are, is a killer, like guns are a killer, and yet, despite everything, like gun violence has mostly decreased stress or people are living longer. Mm -hmm. I don't know if stress is down, but people are living longer. Like I do think things are probably getting broadly better. Yeah. Despite being hugely flawed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 what it all ends up coming back to is it's our inputs, man. Where, where do you get, Mm -hmm. where do you get your news and how much do you care about the news? Um, because yeah, I've, I've seen the same studies where holistically gun violence is on the decline. Unfortunately, these, these types of things make broad news and cause big reactions and, you know, they fill the 24 hour news cycle. So, 
You know what? You know what I think is the biggest problem. Two things here. One, Katie and I have already talked about it. Like, guns are a reality, barring some drastic change. Like Walter is going to get more education around gun safety than I ever received. Mm-hmm. Katie got quite a bit as a kid. Uh, her dad was a military man and hunts and was really good about teaching them things about guns. Like Walter and Winnie are going to get that. Yeah. And yet at the same time, I kind of begrudge the fact that they have to do it because my biggest problem with guns is that they're an idea. Like, we want to give ourselves credit. This is similar to, like, what I just said about people giving themselves credit for their own past. You'll hear somebody say something, right? Mm -hmm. And if they say it in a way that is compelling and charismatic... It sounds like truth in your head. And even though it's the first time you ever heard it, you think, oh, that's always what I've thought. Mm, yeah. And because it, because it hits you that way, it's like, oh, I agree with that. I've always felt that way. Yeah. You start to think it was your own idea yeah. that you had this opinion and somebody just gave you the words. But that's actually a false narrative. You didn't own the idea. You didn't have it. And then somebody gave it to you. It was never yours. This is what a gun is. It exists. And if it didn't exist, how many of us would just magic up the idea for a high-velocity projectile fired from a handheld explosion? Right. Probably not that many. Yeah. Like, it's, it's not a natural idea, I don't think. And so, like, once you have the idea of a gun, it's, you know, it's in story writing, too. It's Chekhov's gun. If you show a gun in the first act, it has to be fired in the third. There is something that gets into your head about, like, the purpose of this thing, and now it's an option. And so I think one of my biggest arguments about, like, the idea of, like, and I don't, I'm not saying you can put the genie back in the bottle or anything. That's why I think we got to teach Walter about gun safety and how to respect them and all that. But I think one of my biggest arguments against like the pervasiveness of like, Hey, guns are good. And like making an, a pro gun argument is that guns are not good. Like they, they are a net bad. Yeah. Like even when you bring them out to do something good, it's because you're preventing something bad. Yeah. So I don't know, man. It's well. I mean, you know, it's uh, it's I, it's 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 a little bit it, it, when aliens dig up our ruins or whatever. Future generations dig up our ruins. They'll be like, "Wait a second. Because if you just call a gun a weapon, now it sounds more threatening. Even if you, even if you're using it for hunting, that's it's true. a piece of machine that was designed to to kill. That's what it mean." Some are more predominantly used for, you know, games. Some are for varmint control. Some are just strictly for, like, you know, fun, shooting at a range. Doesn't matter what your intended use of it is, it's still a a machine designed 
to kill. That's that's the whole. And and if it goes faster, it's designed to kill easier. If it if the if the the round bludgeons when it hits somebody, it's designed to kill easier. Doesn't matter what you say. The piece of it, I don't know. I'm I, I'm thinking of a of an analogy that you know Everett's been watching Little Mermaid, right? And I don't know mm-hmm. if your last time you've had a brush with Little Mermaid, but she, you know she has all her trinkets and gadgets aplenty. Who's it's and what's it's gal- But she brings these like things she finds at the bottom of the ocean up to this. Um... What's this? Yeah, I've got twenty <laughs> exactly. But <laughs> it's coming back. But to but, yeah. but she brings these gadgets and things up to. Um, uh, uh, I don't know if he's an osprey or if he's a wandering albatross, some sort of seagull figure, with with mm-hmm. absolutely a nineteen sixties New Yorker accent. <laughs> and she brings a fork up. Well, a fork is, we eat with it, and that's what a fork is used for. But he calls it, um, I forget what he calls it, but he makes it up, and he's like, oh, I use this, humans use this to comb their hair, and that's what they use it for. Yep. And then she goes on, you know, she gets on land, spoiler alert to people that haven't heard it, and she's on land, and she has legs, and she sees a fork at dinner, and she picks it up, and she twirls it around in her hair, and they're like, no, 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 no. That's for eating. And she's like, oh, it's a loose analogy that I'm thinking where it doesn't matter what you what you use it for. The intended use of the machine was to create destruction. And Mm -hmm. and that's what. Yeah. What a PR win for pro gun activists that we don't call it a weapon more often. Yeah. You, You know, what's funny is the people I do here call it a weapon are the people who actually use them like military folks call their guns weapons mm-hmm. you know even police holster your weapon yeah it's uh it's like the lay person that wants to separate themselves from that kind of like calling uh calling dead cow beef yeah 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 and i wish i mean i should be clear that i'm not you know i'm not pro or anti gun I know a lot of people that, that, you know, they collect them. They like to hunt. They like to, you know, shoot for sport. And that's fine. I mean, that's a, that's a right provided in this country that was, it's been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. But it doesn't, doesn't take away from what it is, what, what the actual piece of machine is. Sure, surely, you know, the gun, as, as we said at the very beginning, it doesn't fire itself. It's the person behind it that decides what it's used for. Is it used for joy or is it used for, you know, for killing? But, you know, we're at a point where it seems that we are having trouble as a country discerning who's going to do that with it. So, yeah, well, most of, most everything we use, right. Is an extension of the self. Yeah. It's just, and I guess that's why I said the thing about the gun as an idea is, I think it is well worth the time, uh, certainly for anyone who's a parent, but probably I'll, I'll make the parent point first and then circle around, but certainly for anyone who's a parent to grapple really strongly with where they land on issues like guns. 
not so that they can pass along some ideology to their own children, but we are kind of the immune system, parents are, for generational uh, generational inoculation, right? If guns are hurting us now, the way that all of us as parents talk to our kids in the aggregate is going to make future generations less susceptible to the disease. I just got my my vaccination, my first shot nice. for COVID today. And any of these ideas that can hurt us, and guns are certainly one of them, deserve thorough examination because your education around it is what guards you against BS ideology around it. You know, something like it's in the Constitution, so it's written in stone. Mm-hmm. It's like, nah, like we know that's not the case. Like, I, but if you haven't thought through that before, it's easy to be like, oh, well, I don't disagree with the Constitution. Right. Like, whatever biases you enter that talk with, you're now susceptible to the argument. And who knows what ripple effect that has, but it makes you less effective in making America something you're proud of and not, man, do Americans suck? Yeah. I mean, dude, I'd put, you're absolutely right about that. And and I would put things like social media and freedom of speech. I'd put, um, you know, healthcare and, you know, the life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Without health, you don't have life. And so I've grappled with that. Mm. But I think that if not our our generation, definitely our kids and their kids' generations will be the ones that have to pivot <laughs> or adjust or modify. Mm. Or or I don't I don't know. I don't want to be a nihilist, but I don't think the future looks great if we don't get a handle of some of these things. Because certainly our little un- underdeveloped uh, brains were not intended for the amount of stimulus we get every day and then and the amount of dopamine that gets released when we log into social media so yeah. and what can be said there it's a public forum what's you know what's the borderline same thing with with guns like okay maybe we maybe the line maybe we can't draw a line in the sand that now yeah you know ARs aren't where we draw the line do we draw the line at bazookas do we draw the line at hand grenades i don't you know where do you draw the line there that says yeah we we don't need to have you know your average joe walking around with this not to mention the one that wants to create you know a lot of carnage so anyway i think mm. i think there's things that our kids will be grappling with and trying to understand and it, and it is important for if not like a this is the way it is this is how it's going to be but a well thought out understanding of how you perceive those things yeah. It's really important. Yeah, I had a, a buddy. We've mentioned him on this podcast before, uh, Josh Reed. He's, he's a friend, and he was talking specifically about the, the Christian faith. He had a post on Instagram and was saying that too many people have the ambition of being a guide or a guru, mm-hmm. and what we need are more mothers and fathers in you know, he's talking about the faith and that there's a huge difference in the commitment 
you make to somebody in the role of mother and father versus just like, you know, no knocks at the Cooksey mentor tree. <laughs> but then in the role of somebody like, oh, I'll spend a couple hours with this person. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And I just think that, because uh, I struggled with this when we, I did my book club and it was my book pick. So I did The Divide by Matt Taibbi. And, uh, you know, suffice it to say, not everybody in the book club felt as strongly about the book (laughs) as I have. And it felt a little bit like that teacher who has to explain to a kid when they're going to use math. Like, why does this matter? Right. And I'm not saying the guys in that book club were saying that uh, the wealth gap was meaningless. There's definitely some conviction, but it was just like, this is too big. What the heck am I going to do with it? Why is it, you know, like, I just feel bad after reading this. I can't change it. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, I, I think that is a, I think that is a dangerous place to find yourself in the world of ideas. It means you won't be responsible for examining examining them thoroughly, and when asked to speak to them with people like your own children, who automatically take your word as something something more important than all the silliness they see on a social media feed. Mm-hmm. I think that you're going to plant opinions in their head where they think that's their idea. Yeah. The same way we all do. And you're going to give them some bad software, some, and like their brain is not going to function right around the topic. And then you are endangering them. Should they become depressed? Should they become addicted? And then they have some, which a lot of people do. I spent, I spent some years of my life, you know, fighting with addiction. And what you open them up to when they're in that weakened state because you accident like just weren't conscientious about the things you gave them. That on mass is how you get a basically an unintelligent country that is not able to talk about solving problems. All they're able to do is latch on to the thing that makes them feel good about, oh, I have the answer. I'm right, they're wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it's like at the heart of everything that has been annoying about, I don't know, the news in general for the last two decades. Yeah. It's, but yeah, it's the... the I'm ranting. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, but you're not, I mean, no, you're not ranting. What? It's, it's our podcast, dude. <laughs> We could talk about whatever, whatever. but yeah, I think, um, yeah, the, the news has, has become to me what almost what fast food is. It's easily accessible. It feels, you know, it makes you feel good. Even if it's about something terrible, like a mass shooting, the news isn't reporting that there was a mass shooting. It's interjecting a bunch of opinions that can now become your opinions. And I think that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons that I think that like long form, not that our podcast is like changing the world, but long form podcasts like a Joe Rogan, like a armchair expert, 
people like that because it's not it's not an attempt to like break down one side or the other. It's an attempt to further explain an idea. And if you can articulate it and then take input from somebody else, it now becomes a new idea, a better formed idea with more inputs. So, Well, I'm going to read something you shared on your story today that is from Adam Grant that I thought was just dead on. Great share, by the way. Uh, it was a great share. Well done. The clearest sign of intellectual chemistry isn't agreeing with someone. It's enjoying your disagreements with them. Harmony is the pleasing arrangement of different tones, voices, or instruments, not the combination of identical sounds. Creative tension makes beautiful music. Mm, yeah. And I think, uh, man, I've... <laughs> it's it's weird when you have an upstart podcast. I don't know if you've run into this, but people ask you like, oh, what's it about? Yeah. <laughs> Just talking. Yeah, I was like, well, really, it's about my personal need to explore ideas in a, I don't want to use the the phrase safe space, because I don't think that's what this is. Anybody can listen to it. If I say something outrageous here, it could very well be clipped and cost me my job. Yeah, It's like, yeah, of course, I've got like the chance to edit and but ultimately, if I decide to put it out there, it's out <laughs> yeah. there. So it's not a safe space. It's an accountable space. But it's it's a space that forces me to try to execute a coherent... As, as I try to do it, my, my sentence gets slower yeah. and slower. <laughs> right? But those, those sort of long-form conversations are really hard to find, particularly with people who aren't the ones you live with all the time. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm forgetting the origins of this, but part of the reason we, it's like, would it be beneficial for you and I as friends to talk about things that are on our mind for an hour a week? Of course, hugely beneficial. Well, what's the problem if we keep on doing that? Well, we have the exact same opinions eventually. Yeah. It it's like the reason I wanted to marry Katie is I knew I would become more like her. Yeah. It's like, yeah, she'll become a little bit like me, but like that's a win for me. It's a loss for yeah, her. Right, right, right. And so if we keep on talking to just each other, we're going to sound just more like each other. So it's like, okay, we got to bring in guests. You pick someone, I'll pick someone. Like, let's just keep on bringing in new perspectives. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't know how you make sense of yourself without that, particularly in an algorithm-based echo chamber world where your phone is an extension of your own brain. Yeah. So, yeah, I long way of saying I agree with your comment about <laughs> long-form podcasting. And I needed a lot of runway to say that. Hey, man, we're not, we're not lost. It just looks like it. <laughs> just looks like it uh i I would say shifting gears but what are we really even talking about (laughs) um the i love the thing you said about uh having a few areas of focus around your own kids like make sure i've examined these Mm, yeah 
Uh, Katie and I went on our first date night in five months uh, last Friday. Yep. Oku Sushi, Raleigh. If you haven't been, check it out. It's fantastic. It is fantastic. Um, by the way, what's a sushi order look like for you? What, do you have like a game plan when you roll into a sushi joint? Is it like we're getting four rolls? They're all different. You know, for Andy does not like seafood. Interesting. So um, she gets the uh, uh, the fried rice, which, by the way, it is absolutely phenomenal. <laughs> it's so good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, f- I- I'm not like a very adventurous sushi guy. I like all kinds of fish. Straight California rolling it. Oh, I'm not, <laughs> but I, but I'm not that vanilla. I- I'm gonna go with something that's usually got some like tuna, some salmon, maybe some like. Um, crab or shrimp tempura on it and then i and then i like mm-hmm. just just plain old like was it uh nigiri just plain old fish with some wasabi oh, and yeah. soy sauce man but i'm also uh economically very thrifty so as i'm adding up the cost of sushi i'm like mm, <laughs> yeah one roll and a couple pieces of nigiri will do i'll also be eating some of whatever andy does not eat <laughs> plus the donut plus the donuts on the end what do, you, do you guys go in there and explore? Uh, do you guys do a little walking around with the sushi? Oh, man, we're all over the space. We're, we're getting like, we're going basic. Like, I'll, I'll have the garden salad. Yep. And also some, some beef tartare. Oh, yeah. Mm. Uh, what's, this, what's this buttery salmon thing I can't pronounce? Yeah. The uzukuri? Yeah. We'll have one, please. You know, but then... Uh, yeah, eventually, you know, we settle down. Like I like the, I like the traditional maki style wrapped in a seaweed. I'll usually reach for something a little exotic. Like give me, give me multiple fish or like a, a wagyu with some lobster, a little surf and turf roll. Yeah. What happens every single time, and this is, this is how you know we are garbage people is we have to get the deep fried roll and if it has cream cheese all the better. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got that one this last time. <laughs> it's so good. So good. Yeah. So yeah. No, I was I was just curious. Yeah, man. Uh anyway, the thing we talked about on our date night was what are the what are the like let's start brainstorming a list. What are the 100 things? And a lot of them will be the same for Walter and Winnie. Some of them will have to be a little bit different. Yeah. But are, what are the 100 things if, like, Walter doesn't have these when he's out of here at 18 years old, then, like, we let him down? And maybe that's a wrong way to think of it. What are the 100 things, like, if he's got these 100, he's done all these, yeah. then, like, I did it. Yeah. I had you armed him with the I had yeah you armed him with the right tools right I have one life as a parent this is my these are my two kids my one shot mm-hmm. to do this and like here it is and there might be a little bit of tension around systematizing that but like I don't know of any other way but then to like think deeply about it and then try to make it feel as organic as possible so that there's not some weird tension like you're trying to create a a robo kid. Right. 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 But I, I think that that is a worthwhile, uh, 
ambition project to take yeah. on, you know? And you also then have, I think the, the real net net of it, why it's such a win is what you've done in the meantime of, let's say it's a hundred things. I want him to have a clean looking jump shot. Mm-hmm. I want him to be able to keep a personal budget. Um, you know, standard, standard stuff. Yep. And then you throw in some, you throw in some exotic things. Like I want him to be able to ride a horse. Why? <laughs> I don't know. I had 98 things. I needed 99. But like over the course of that, he'll have to take on a lot of new things. And some of those things he's going to be bad at. Some of them he's going to be good at. And what he's going to do is have to solve a lot of problems. Here's something you're faced with that is new. You don't have a, a preset programming for this. Like, let's teach him jujitsu. That there's humility there, yeah. right? So over time, uh, he's just going to be used to doing something new. He's going to be used to failing. He's going to be used to figuring it out, and that's actually the program for success. Not that any one of these things is like the thing that makes you bulletproof in Teflon. It's that the world that he's going to live in will be very different than the one I've lived in. And he needs to be adaptable. Yeah. Just like we're talking about with the, the stone tablets of the constitution. Yeah. That, that, that's great. I mean, I think that's great. And that's something that, you know, me personally, I had a very high need to succeed as a kid and even as an adult. And that prevented me from taking a shot on some things like, you know, I always loved shooting basketball, you know, in the, in the driveway, but I only played like one or two seasons of rec league. Cause I was like, I'm not really that good. And I don't want to go out there and look like a fool. And so I held myself back from doing it. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. you know, Annie was the opposite. She would literally try anything. And, you know, from 4-H to basketball to cheerleading to pottery making, you name it. And I can Mm -hmm. see that in her spirit and in the way she approaches things. She's just not afraid to fail because she knows that she's done it before. And she's also had wild successes at things she didn't know she was going to be really successful at. And look at her business. She was super conservative going into it and now... You know, she's overflowing with people that want to come see her. And it's like, yeah, I mean, we could awesome. we could all see it. We all knew. People on the outside knew. You're betting on yourself and you're going to win. But part of that is she's got a life of just trial and error. Figure it out. Whereas I'm an overanalyzer. I'll research a bed for six months before we buy a bed as opposed to, eh, here's a good review. It's a good price. We should get the bed. For me, it's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's a, such a commitment and a fear of, of failing. And, I, you know, I want to, as a parent, I want our boys to not be afraid. I want them to take chances, to take risks. And I'm going to have to really lean on Annie to do that because it's not a comfortable space for me. But I think, mm-hmm. too, you know, something that something that it does when you lay it out like that, and maybe a hundred's too many for this, but I think you'll probably find a theme is as a parent, you have to make hundreds, if not thousands of decisions a day that all impact your entire family. And especially on the weekends when your kids aren't at you know school or daycare, you're making all the decisions for them. And no matter how old they get until they're out of, you know, out of the house, 
if you have a good framework, it makes it easier to make those decisions. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, is, you know, what, whatever the decision is, are we going to let them have ice cream before dinner? Does that align with what we're trying to teach them? If it's, if it's occasionally, maybe that does fit with the context. If it's every night, well, now we, yeah. you know, now it's going against, but maybe some people that's the way they do it and that's the way they want to do it. So it helps frame your decisions as a parent to be consistent, which that's ultimately what, you know, what children really want is consistency. Yeah, two thoughts there. One, if the hundred seems like a lot, right? But what happens when you start to build a structure, and I I learned this with the accountability mirror, uh, when you start to build a structure that you're aspiring towards, and this is also very true of trying to write a book, it's like you don't you don't know how you're going to get there, yeah. but the effort to build it teaches you something about how to build it so like you figure it out along the way so one this is also part of the secret about having like your kids learn a lot of stuff is that they learn that oh i don't i don't have to know how to do it like this is a like you can get better at this like you just start doing it and you figure it out but in building out like okay here's the hundred things gosh how are we going to teach all these things you you force your mind to think about the edges of what you don't know. It's like, how am I going to do this? And then suddenly, like magic, you hear it on a podcast or an idea pops into your head. Katie and I just had this. How are we going to do 100? She's listening to the Armchair Expert podcast with Tom Brady. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Tom says he takes once a year just a one-on-one vacation, him and that kid, and Dax is like, oh, no way. Kristen and I do that. So that they make sure that they get one-on-one time. And it's kind of a cool thing to just like, oh, it's just you and your, your one kid in the hotel room. And they get to like collaborate with you about where you're going to for a restaurant. Yeah. Well, if you, if you have those hundred things out there, some of them are like pretty simple. Like, you know, I, maybe you want them to learn how to ski or... You know, I, I mentioned the horseback riding thing. I don't know why that was on my mind. I didn't learn how to do that until, like, college, so I guess I fell yeah, behind. Yeah, yeah, But, like, now all of a sudden, those weekend trips can become about this thing. Like, oh, we've never tried this. You want to, yeah. like, you and me, we're, and you can prepare for it and, like, think about it. And, you know, you build some ritual around it. Yeah. And so I think that there's just a ton of benefit to making – the effort for all that. You know, dude, I read a book. Gosh, and it is slipping. It's somewhere in my house right now. Is it Range by David Epstein? That's not Range. I'm going in a whole <laughs> different direction with this one. But but this this guy, when his kids were slightly old enough, probably like, I don't know, seven and five, eight and six, something like that, they put together like a, a family... Uh, maybe call it a constitution. I we we sort of frame the constitution in a very weird way in this call, but or in this conversation. But you know, they, they formed like their five pillars. These are the this is what it means to mm-hmm. be a cooksy. And it's you know it's not like machismo type stuff. It's like we ch- we treat people with kindness. What does that look like? We hold doors for people. We say please. We say thank. But they had their five pillars. And that, and they all had collaborated on it. They all had input into it. They all put together a coat of arms for the family, like their own personal coat of arms. 
And then what this what this guy would do because he had two sons is on their seventeenth birthday or sixteenth birthday, whatever, he would have like a rite of passage trip with that kid. Mm-hmm. And you know it wasn't like you know like the air up there where they cut their stomach open. Like it wasn't like that kind of thing, (laughs) you know, but it was like, we're going to present a challenge and we're going to solve it. And you solving this is you progressing to, you know, the beginning of your adulthood. And, And I really like that. And part of it is, you know, this comes back to my not wanting to fail is for me coming up with five pillars. I'm like, I don't even know where to start. What if I, what if I pick the wrong pillars, you know, but but yeah. I think it. What that allows you to do is it brings you in. I don't yeah. think it even matters what the pillars are, as long as they're not like you know, you know, be rude and be, right. be rude like, to people. But if if they're well-meaning pillars, right? <laughs> right. Ultimately, they're going to pick something, but you're teaching them to be conscientious and examine their life. And and it also sets it sets a a path or maybe bumper rails or something where when they go to frame, because there's, you know, you hear about all the time, these kids that, you know, they were a good kid. They didn't, you know, they got good grades and then they just, no one knew they were depressed or no one knew they used drugs or whatever it is. And you can't solve for all those things because they're infinite. The dangers that are going to face our kids are infinite. So you give them lanes and you say in this lane is what it means to be, us to be a cooksy, to be a redazel, whatever outside of that lane that violates our kind of core principles of being a human being. And Mm -hmm. so you just hope that there's, you know, and that that also comes into your hundred things as they're testing these things, as they're doing these things, you know, they learn to bump up against the bumper and say, well, okay, that didn't feel good. Let me go back to the middle here. I'm not, I'm not great at that thing, but I tried it and it's okay. So I don't know. Yeah, I think teaching a skill set. So the hundred things is a little different than the code of it arms. It is, yeah. Like the hundred yeah, things, the yeah, the hundred things is like teaching skill sets. And by teaching skills, you have an opportunity to weave in your values in all of these, yeah. right? So like the thing Katie and I have played with, like the way I structure my life, right, is I I annually set things up around intellectual pursuits, emotional well-being, and physical betterment. So mind, body, spirit is kind of the idea. And how do I translate that to a kid? Well, most of the things to teach that the self-examination and the intentionality in those arenas are already there for us. So like, I take mind, body, spirit, and I just break that down to strong, being the body, smart, being the mind, kind, being the spirit. So I want my kids to be strong, smart, and kind. And as long as I'm living my life the way I am now, they will see strength, intelligence, and kindness and the opportunity for those as I live those things daily. And that's why the accountability mirror has daily uh, daily metrics that I have to adhere to mm-hmm. so that I'm creating a role model without like having to over-intellectualize it to them. They're just going to watch me be me, and I'll talk to them about strong, smart, and kind. Yeah. The, the skills that you decide to teach them are an opportunity. Like, 
how do you look this adult in the eye when they're teaching you something like don't don't be fidgeting when somebody's taking their time to try to educate you about this skill set that you came here to learn you know when somebody is failing how do, how are you kind to them is this an opportunity to be nice and to like think of others yeah you know and when when you're failing at this thing yourself are you able to uh Find the resilience and the strength to keep on pressing into it, even though it's giving you a hard time. And hey, if it's giving you a hard time for a week, we just learned that one of these hundred skill sets isn't for you. We're yeah. out. What are you gonna <laughs> you do? You can learn to quit too. What What are you gonna do if neither of your children? What What if they both have a jump shot like Stanley Hudson from The Office? <laughs> <laughs> You better hope they're six Katie, six ten and can dunk at that point. Katie asked me that too. the The reason the jump shot thing comes out to me is because, like, part of it's my own bias, right? But like, we all know that thing that we've done, and maybe we even respect this guy, right? And then you get out on something. Maybe it's like a golf swing, yeah, or like you you see a guy like show up in a t-shirt and shorts for the first time and jog and you're like whoa yeah (laughs) (laughs) this this is not good and for me the jump shot was always like the thing because like you play pickup ball with guys guys you know in class uh or guys you'd be friends with and then you get around and you'd be like yeah yeah we're not the same thing yeah yeah it was it was shocking whereas if it at least looks good like it's okay, man. Like you, you've got to roll. Stand in the corner, hit some. Yeah, games. exactly. Yeah, uh, I did. I totally get that. Um, that's hilarious, man. And that reminds me of what but, my what my reco what my reco of the week will be. So excellent. So let's do it. Let's get into the uh, segments of the week. Yeah, man. Man, <laughs> I had like a whole notebook dump. I was ready to go through, but let's, I enjoyed. Let's save it. I enjoyed just rolling. Let's save it, and we'll. Oh yeah, it'll we'll pick them off. It'll always be there. I want to talk about the maximizer versus the satisfizer. Oh, yeah, that was good. Uh, yeah, we'll get to All it. All right. All right. The finding ourselves question of the week from the We're Not Really Strangers self-reflection addiction. 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 Self-reflection <laughs> addiction. If you're not careful, you'll just look inwards forever. <laughs> it's a black hole yep. of my own soul. All right, the question. What have I always accepted as true that turned out to be false? I feel like this was even one of the questions we wrote up originally for guests. Uh So I've thought about this before. I'll ask it again, and then I'm happy to throw an answer at it. What have I always accepted as true that turned out to be false? Uh, I think what I'll pick for today is the idea that the truth is compelling. Uh, When I was little, part of it was like being raised in a Christian home. Part of it is just, uh, you know, you're raised on like truth, justice in the American way. Good always wins. I thought that the truth was like an inherently strong argument. Hey, you have the truth on your side. Yeah. You can't handle the Go truth, with it. right? 
Right. It's like if you have the truth, you can win. And I no longer believe that the truth is actually compelling in and of itself. I think that fitness, like the Darwinian form of fitness, is always the thing that wins out. And that's not always truth. So we have so many examples of this. You know, our, we were just talking about one. Are guns a force for good? Right? Like, the truth is nebulous. The truth is difficult to pin down. The truth is highly contextual. And what usually wins out is the idea that is said with the most charisma, the the argument that is most interesting, that sticks in your brain like an earworm. And it is kind of frustrating to find that out. But it's also really important. Like, it, it's not enough to just, like, have the truth on your side. Like, you've got to really examine it, package it, make it unique to the individual that you're speaking with. And that if you do actually have the truth and not just like wandering around the idea as I am want to do, mm-hmm. once you actually realize you've got something that is a truth, like for me, happiness is about frequency, not intensity. Like I know that that is a truth. Like when it comes to how do you formulate happiness for an individual human being, Seek frequency, seek recurrence, like time in the zone. Mm -hmm. And once you have that, it is a burden of responsibility to package that in a way that is compelling so that the truth is a fitter idea than all the other ideas that rival it. Partying on a Friday night is a sexy, seductive idea. And it gets almost every kid for a period of time. And you have to, like, battle. You either pull out of it and find out there's more important things to live th- live for. Or it's just, I'm living for the weekend until I'm in my 60s. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm living for that 5 p.m. I'm off of work. And, like, what's your life about then? So... I, I think that's that one has been a huge turn for me. Yeah. The truth is compelling. False idea. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. I'm feeling caffeinated tonight. I don't know what it is. I got a lot of omega-3s today. I think Hannah's talk, like my mind just is, uh, I'm not I'm not saying it's more on point, but it is. It's firing. It is in high gear. It's firing. <laughs> Maybe not accurately, but, <laughs> but, it's, but it's rolling. Good luck getting to sleep tonight. Um, you know, this, this is one that I've been, uh, coming to terms with or, or, or getting more information around over the last probably two or three years, but I always, and to put it simply that people are the deciders of their own destiny, the boots, the pull yourself up by the bootstrap mentality. Uh, I think for a long time, I was pretty ignorant to, the fact that people have different starting places. People have different resources available to them. Uh, people have different influences. 
And, you know, a lot of that is, you know, my, my brain wasn't fully formed and I was looking at life from a individualistic standpoint and, you know, ignorant to it because I had, I had my own struggles growing up and it was like, well, I, I grit and bared through it. Sure. I had some help along the way, but I'm, but I got to where I am. It's kind of like we talked about today. I got to where I am because I got, because of me, my hard work. Mm Mm-hmm. The recognition that there are a lot of really smart, well-meaning people in poverty or falsely imprisoned or, um, I don't know, stuck in some way. That's not really their own fault. Um, some of it could be, you know, they weren't, get, they weren't given the tools <laughs> as a kid to figure out the complex problems that life might throw its way and just recognizing that sure that we, we do have a lot of autonomy. We do have a lot of control of our own life. We have control of our choices, but those, even those choices are influenced heavily by the X number of years behind us. Uh, and even the X plus years behind us when we're talking about systemic racism the, um, you know, the, the, um, judicial system and so on and so forth. And so Mm -hmm. just kind of this recognition and reconciliation that there are a lot of factors at play to what drives someone to a quote, successful or prosperous life, uh, whatever that means for you. And that's sort of what kind of one of the things that I've really been really, really come to in the last year or so. (sighs) Thank you for sharing. Yeah. That's your Matt Tybee that laid out. Dude, that is a that is such a good one. It's taken a lot of work because I was, to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That it's it's hard to admit, and also somewhat uh, redemptive to realize that it's like it's kind of the Goodwill Hunting scene, right? When he's hugging Robin Williams, it's, it's not, it's your, not fault. your fault. Yeah, like there's. It's, it can be tough to admit that too, but it's it's really important to realize how much causality built your life. Yeah, I think for, for me, it can be viewed as despair. What do I do about this? Well, certainly there are things you can do. You know, you could volunteer, um, but but... But that's just part of it. The other part of it leads, in my opinion, to more gratitude because you recognize Mm -hmm. that it's not all you. (laughs) You are in a position and then you use that position to raise the tide, to bring others up with that. So, yeah, Yeah, man. Yeah. I think if you do view life as something that happens and your consciousness as just a a perspective watching it happen. And that's not the way we think about it, right? We think of ourselves as an active participant, but, you know, under a causal framework, you can't be certain of that. Yeah. But I think if you're, if you're able to separate those things so that, like, I am just the, the person responding to my situation then it makes all the logical sense in the world to be a grateful person rather than like 
a self-flagellating person because the choice is really do I want to be happy or do I want to suffer? Yeah. And and the ticket to happiness is like being grateful for the thing that you're doing on a repetitive basis. Mm-hmm. Man, that's a huge realization. And I I definitely went through the same thing. Yeah. Uh, I could have I could have easily picked that as mine. Yeah, man. All right, recommendations. Recommendation. I, I gave this one to you personally, but I'll throw it in the ether now that I now that I finished the series. Um, the last chance you series, plural series mm-hmm. series is, um, on Netflix. They're fantastic. The basically the the premise, it follows the the first. Two or three seasons follow um, some JUCO uh, junior college football programs, but this most recent one was a uh, junior college pro, uh, basketball program out of uh, East Los Angeles, and they just do a really good job of characterizing the kids. You realize that you know this is their ticket. And why it means so much, and the stuff that they go through. Talking, you know, they they have a very different path than what I saw. Um, mm-hmm. What compounds this season uh, is, is the fact that, obviously, as we all know, you know, COVID, and to see these kids that you know, I don't want to spoil anything, but you kind of know where it's gonna you know, if you just do the timing. But to see the. Le- I had my own lens about COVID, but to see in real time that that's been one of the weirdest things for me as we've, as we've surpassed like the year mark that COVID became a big deal in America to watch stuff that happened as it was happening and realize how quickly we went from there's just 20 cases to everyone's got to work from home. No one can touch anybody. We're all, everyone's going to die. Like, and then, it's very surreal to relive that with these kids whose hopes and dreams and everything they've been working towards is just stopped, mm. but it didn't ruin anything. It's, you know, it's, it's a great series and uh, I'd highly recommend it. That's why it's here. Yep. <laughs> Man. No, that, that sounds awesome. Yeah. It's in the, uh, the queue for, for Katie and I. You know when I watch it? Uh, plus, once once it's a basketball season, I'm in. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I figured that. You know, you prop it up there on the Peloton, and you hold oh, yeah. you hold the heart rate at about 140 for about 45 to 60 minutes, and you just mm-hmm. get get a solid episode and a half in. Speaking of heart rate, I got a uh, an Apple Watch for my fourth anniversary gift from oh, Katie. Fantastic. I've I've checked my resting heart rate like. Ten times today. What's your resting heart rate? What, what are you sitting at? What do you hover around? Forty-seven beats per minute. Man, that's a healthy heart. Ice cold. That's a healthy heart. Ice right cold. There. <laughs> so efficient. I think that's part of why I keep looking at it. It's like, uh, it's like a social media post that yeah. got a lot of likes. Hey. I just can't, I keep. Oh yeah, still doing good. <laughs> There's this weird badge of honor when I go to the doctor and they're like, they check my my resting heart rate and they're like. It's, it's you know it's about it's probably about the same somewhere in that forty seven to sixty range and they're like wow that's really good <laughs> yep and then uh, and they, <laughs> they, t- they take my blood they take my blood pressure which I've looked up what the numbers of blood pressure mean probably a hundred times I still have no idea but they're like 
118 over 76. That's fantastic. And I'm like, I do CrossFit, so I eat pretty healthy. No no big deal. Uh. Yeah, Yeah, when they strap that thing to my arm, I start start glowing with a confidence that borders on arrogance. Look, to to the point where every time they read the number out and I go, I go, I don't know, is that good? the same number every time and i just ha- uh, i don't know is it good i'm not really that i'm not really that into fitness i don't i don't really what's a what's a heart rate yeah. made? must be the omega-3s this morning oh man <laughs> uh well good for us yeah man. uh pat ourselves on the back and speaking of fitness my recommendation is bpn supplements mm, okay so are you familiar with uh Social media, moderately famous dude, Nick Bear. Is that the guy that did the sub three hour um, marathon? It is. I just recently came upon him and he's a freak. Yeah. Uh, So uh, one of the reasons I got interested in him is he ran a marathon. He's a bigger dude. Uh, Ran a marathon a few years ago and thought he'd just be able to like Gut it out, you know? He basically went into it the way I did, yep. which was, well, I'm just going to run a bunch of miles, and then I'll enter a race and see how it goes. And he ran it in like 420 or something yeah. like that. And it kind of irritated him, and so he decided, like, I'm I'm going to lick this thing. He did an Ironman, uh, set his sights on a sub-three-hour, and basically worked at it for multiple years, and just recently ran a sub-three-hour marathon. So he's a former... Uh, Army Ranger or Infantry, I forget the exact rank and uh, yeah. portion of the military is from, but former military man, uh, started his own supplement line like out of his parents' house uh, while he was in college. It has steadily grown over the years uh, to the point where it's it's now a pretty thriving business. And he does top-notch YouTube content like a weekly series about his current Ironman training and a lot of production value. So I got interested in it from that end, but it's really the ultimate goal is he's selling supplements. Yeah. So I have, uh, I've now used his protein, his pre-workout, his intra-workout, uh, and two superfoods products called Strong Greens and Strong Reds, which are like a broken-out version of Athletic Greens, if you're familiar with that. Mm-hmm. It's uh, vegetable extracts that cover the broad spectrum of micronutrients that you would need uh, if you have just a ton of performance output or if you have a bad diet and need the coverage. Yeah, There's an argument to be made that everybody should be taking some uh, green extract yeah. to balance their diet. So anyways... Um, I've been thrilled. The pre-workout has a ridiculous amount of beta alanine and caffeine, which is awesome. Uh, more than like your standards, like your, your ON gold standard or your, uh, what's the other one I used to use? The Hit me with a well-known pre-workout. Like I've used a Jack, lot of times. Jack 3D, NO Explode. Yep. Yep, those. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's a little bit more boost than those things. 
which is a, a lot. lot of boost. And the uh, the ones I would strongly recommend would be that pre workout, the strong greens and strong reds. Um, I think the intra workout, comparable to other things, you're good with extend or other forms of BCAAs. But then uh, I also use their blueberry muffin protein to make. Some of the best protein pancakes, also a recipe from the company itself, and they are fantastic. Yeah, you got me on the protein pancake train. You'll need to send me your recipe for that. Happy to do so. So anyways, BPN Supplements, check it out. Um, I've been I've been thrilled, and I th- it's a lot nicer supporting like a local guy who you feel like you know than some sort of... Yeah. And when I say local, it's, you know, he's in Austin, Texas, but like, he's a real person. Right. Right. You can actually know him, uh, versus whoever the, the druids behind optimum nutrition are. No, I have no no idea. (laughs) No clue. Yep. (laughs) Anyway. All right. Well, Hey, I enjoyed this. I have no idea what we talked about. Uh, but I can say, it'll be a weird realist, but I can say I enjoyed talking to you. Hey, as always, the pleasure's all on this end of the WebEx. (laughs) I feel lighter. I feel feel like I'm going to fall asleep in about 15 minutes. I'm right there with you. Taking the dog out, I'm going to sleep. I left it all on the podcast. There it is. Uh, All right, dude. Have a good one, brother. You too, man. See you.